enjoyed that song by Warren Smith because I can't take it back. This is Diamond City Radio, and I'm, uh, you know, me, Travis. Anyway, Roy Brown is back with Good Rockin' Tonight. I mean, you wouldn't, you wouldn't bother singing about it if the rockin' wasn't really great. Like average rockin' or...
save it, come back.
It's a man if it acts just like a cross patch. Has a face with whiskers that scratch. If it's stubborn as can be mean and ornery. It's a man if it walks, if it talks, if its habits are a little bit peculiar. If it brags and tries to make you think it's wonderful, be on the lookout. Don't let it fool you. But if it makes the moon up on high, more than just a light in the sky. If it kisses you and you find you like it to grab it, it's a man.
Yes. You're listening to uh, uh, Diamond City Radio. If, if you're listening at all.
worry, worry, love is passing me by. Worry, 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 I'm so painfully shy. Not the guys get all the kisses. Worry, 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 woe is me. Baby, 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 I'm a fool about love. Maybe, maybe I should go to school about love. When it comes to getting chummy, I'll admit I'm quite a dummy. Worry, 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 woe is me. I found out that I'm the worrying kind. I go worrying right along. Life is fine, but with the worrying mind, so many things can go wrong. Worry, 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 should I hold it some time? Worry, 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 and my kiss is right. He said, Joe, I'm not Joe, my name is Harry.
I hope you liked that. That was maybe by the Xbox. I mean, it was definitely by the Xbox. It's called maybe. I should have put your.
might have sparked a renewed appreciation for how elegant some parts of this game are. So, let's begin at the beginning. Actually, no. We need to begin earlier than that, because to understand Fallout 4, we have to understand how it came to be, the context it was made in, and the journey Bethesda travelled on the way to Boston. So, let's begin, shall we? So, I want you to imagine for a moment what developing Fallout 4 was like. It's 2009, and work just wrapped up on the last bits of Fallout 3 DLC, and we know that work began immediately on Fallout 4, representing a good chance to make some big foundational changes to how the game should work next to Fallout 3. Obviously, good starting point. Try and figure out how people reacted to Fallout 3. Except there's a problem, because at a very high level, Fallout 3 players who want things to change in the next Fallout game fall into two camps, and these camps have very different desires. First up, with such high sales for Fallout 3 next to Fallout 1 and 2, we know there's a big group who are new to Fallout. Fallout 3 is their introduction to the whole Fallout universe. There's no one gaming background to these folks, of course, but there's an excellent chance that many of them would have been more familiar with shooters than RPGs. And I say that purely as in 2007, two of the year's top three selling games were first-person shooters, while RPGs had fallen on hard times at the end of the 90s, struggling with the, at the time, much smaller PC market, but unable to transition to the increasingly lucrative console market, the exact phenomenon that led in part to the disintegration of Interplay, the original publishers of Fallout's. When you see the common criticism of Fallout 3 that the shooting is clunky, there's a decent chance you're hearing from this group, because if your frame of reference is the shooters of 2007 or 2008, then yes, Fallout 3 would feel a bit clunky. By 2015, of course, it would have been much worse, and Fallout 3's shooting mechanics would have seemed hopelessly out of date. So, if you want Fallout 4 to succeed, you're going to need better, smoother, more accessible gunplay. But hang on. As I discussed when I was arguing that Fallout 3 is better than you think, part of the reason that shooting is a bit clunky in Fallout 3 is by design. You're playing as a character who's brand new to the world, and level 2, they shouldn't be able to nail a mole rat in the eye from 100 meters. It's literally built into the game that you have to invest skill points to boost accuracy, lower spread, and reduce weapon sway. You're not an amazing shot until your character is. As a result of that, if you make the shooting immediately accessible, you've undermined the entire foundation of Fallout being an RPG, that what you can do depends on your character's ability as well as the player's skill. Which brings us to the second camp, the long-standing fans of Fallout, or RPGs of Interplay, or RPGs of the 90s in general, who have exactly the opposite complaint. When you hear the common talking point that Fallout 3 was a dumbed-down shooter experience that wasn't a proper Fallout game, that may well be somebody from this camp talking. And what they want is a proper RPG experience, which is traditionally characterised by your abilities being entirely defined by the character you're playing as. So, basically, who thinks it's a good idea for Fallout 4 to be an immediately accessible modern shooter where player skill translates into an immediate gameplay advantage? And who thinks the exact opposite, that shooting should have a much smaller part of the game to create a more diverse RPG experience where ability is a function of long-term character building decisions? Then Skyrim launches in 2011 and becomes one of the most successful games of all time, so does that mean we should take notes from that? 
And just when you think things can't get any worse, those bastards over at Obsidian manage, in 18 months, to make a Fallout game that just happens to be one of the best video games ever created. Now a load of those new Fallout 3 players have had the chance to experience a really good Fallout game with stronger RPG elements, and many of them really like what they saw. And now things are even more impossible, because previously, the old Fallout fans were a tiny minority. But now, thanks to New Vegas, there's literally millions of people who have played a Fallout game that's a lot more RPG-ish. And you can't ignore that many people, so now Fallout 4 also has to somehow embrace what people loved in New Vegas, even though New Vegas didn't even exist at the start of Fallout 4's development. Put all of that together, and that's the context of Fallout 4's creation. Just imagine the stress of that. So, what did Bethesda do? Well, they did precisely what they always do. They threw everything out and started again. Now, this point kind of slips past people a lot. Specifically, I've seen a lot of discussion about Fallout 3 versus Fallout 4 and what got added or taken away. And I think this is completely the wrong starting point for a discussion about Fallout 4. Yes, at the absolute surface level, Fallout 4 and Fallout 3 seem to have a lot in common. Bolts, ruins, jumpsuit, 10mm pistol, dog, mole rats, raiders, vats, compass, pinpoint. Superficially, the two look very similar. But Fallout 3 and New Vegas look even more similar, and they're hugely different from each other. Fallout 4 is a brand new thing, and some people bring that up like it's inherently bad, like revealing that Fallout 4 diverged from some of the exact design choices of a turn-based RPG from 1997, is a big takedown gotcha moment, and uh, as strange as it is that this needs to be pointed out at all, I don't think Bethesda were trying to be as faithful as possible. This isn't a secret. Ahead of Fallout 4, they did a press tour broadcasting this. Say, in an interview with the official Xbox YouTube channel in November 2015, Pete Hines could not have put his cards more clearly on the table. Every game gets treated from scratch. There are no sacred cows. I think this is part of Todd Howard's belief that you can get stale by staying in one spot. So that's what they did in Fallout 4. They threw out a huge amount of the core components of Fallout 3. Tone, atmosphere, location, setup, and made not so much a sequel to Fallout 3 as something brand new. But how do you square all those circles I was just mentioning? How do you make everybody happy when, rather like the Fallout Wasteland itself, different factions of fans are trying to pull the game in opposite directions? Well, strangely enough, it all begins with a pile of rubbish. The jump system is one of my favourite additions to Fallout 4. It's a brilliant system that adds so much to the game, but let's keep things simple just for now. In the original Fallout games, the world is populated in a very pragmatic fashion when it comes to items. Almost everything you see is just painted into the background. In fact, items you can interact with are sufficiently rare that you can hold down shift to highlight items that weren't just part of the scenery. From an isometric perspective, this is perfectly reasonable, as the camera is so far away from the player, distinguishing a useful item from generic junk would have been very difficult. This means in most scenarios, most levels are effectively empty, with items instead placed in containers or dropped by dead enemies. When Fallout moved into 3D first person, this changed. Now that the player was down on the ground and had a better view of the areas they were exploring, this level of emptiness would have made areas seem flat. So, 
miscellaneous decorations were added all over the place. Spare parts, trash, components, pencils, various bits of pre-war detritus. Now, this did work as set dressing, but it created a problem. 99% of it was useless. You might occasionally grab items with decent weight-to-value ratio to sell at the nearest store, but most of your character actor, like potentially functional pre-war technology in a never-before-explored ruin, was just a bit uninteresting. And then came Fallout 4. Now, basically every item in the game can be broken down into materials, and those materials can be used to improve weapons and armor, or build infrastructure in your faces. This is a huge improvement, and the core reason why is because we're playing a game here, an interactive experience. So, the more benefit there is to engaging and interacting with the world, the better. Let me give you a really simple example. Let's look at a couple of very early game areas in various Fallout games. So, this is Silver's house in Fallout 3. The vast majority of these items have no use and effectively no value. They don't really tell us anything. I could steal them, but there's no point. A pre-war camera, useful chemicals, practical day-to-day -day kitchenware, all of them have no utility outside of a tiny number used in weapons commanders. New Vegas is very similar, though the issue is somewhat eased by a more full crafting system. In Fallout 4, meanwhile, this is the Concord Speakeasy, and at first it looks very similar, even featuring the same camera. But now, these items are hugely more valuable, because they're a source of components. So, you drag them back to base and drop them off there for crafting. And this has all sorts of positive impacts on the game world. Firstly, it incentivizes the player to engage with the world with much more attention. Rather than passing by background decoration, you start scavenging, which fits perfectly into a game universe where scavengers and prospectors have long been a part of the game, with the whole process streamlined through the quick loop menu, one of hundreds of tiny UI improvements that Fallout 4 games. Even better, in a world where everything contains components that might have a use down the line, the optimal solution would be to pick up and take everything, but carry weight is the limiting factor. You have to start thinking with a critical mindset about what is most important to carry back to base. And what's even better than that is, that changes over time, and depends on your own build choices. At the start of the game, duct tape will be as precious as gold dust, as you need adhesive for everything. But as time moves on, you might well find it screws that become more pressing, leading to the discovery that finding a desk fan now generates a slightly concerning amount of joy. In the mid-game, copper and aluminium can well start running low. And finally, rare precious materials for advanced energy weapons. That camera might be no use to you at level 2, but become precious at level 35, leading to a world of dynamic scavenging, where an area that seems uninteresting at one point becomes a gold mine later. And perhaps even more importantly, it quietly encourages you to pay attention to the world. Because unlike previous Fallout games, where loot tended to be fairly generic and distributed at random, now you need to consider what's going to yield it. Need gold or silver? Try residential areas and look for jewellery. Need ceramic? Look for restaurants and kitchens. As you play more, you start to get a feel for what's going to be where. And thus whether, with your current needs, it's worth taking the time to loot a nearby diner, or science lab, or electrical store. And suddenly, it struck me. The game has taught me not just to act like a scavenger, but to think like one. The game mechanics have nudged me into role-playing as a Fallout prospector, and I think that's kind of genius. Of course, all of this would be meaningless if the junk didn't do anything. So fortunately, the opposite is true. 
Junk isn't just important, it's part of the core of the game. Specifically the, by this point, well-acknowledged core gameplay loop of Explore Loot Craft. In practical terms, you begin the game with almost nothing. You loot Sanctuary Hills. You use what you find to slightly improve your gun. That facilitates going to a further away and more dangerous location, looting that, and so on, exploring further and further with better and better weapons and armor. Now we'll get back to this exact loop and how it works in Fallout 4 in a second, but I do want to step back and look at the wider picture here. In particular, how Fallout 4 is for the most part unique in the Fallout franchise for even having an identifiable core gameplay loop at all. You see, in any big open game, you're going to have two different tiers of goal at the same time. First, you have a long-term goal. Find the water chip, find Dad, find Benny, find Sean. But these goals are often vague and far off. So generally the game is going to give you smaller, more local, more achievable goals. In Fallout, this is often done through subquests. Stop the Rad Scorpions, Power of the Atom, Ghost Town Gunfight, stuff like that. Local missions that can be resolved in a fairly short period of time. Now this works fine in Fallout 1 and 2, as every location in the game features quests, and the space between them is represented by a map screen. The system, however, starts to run into a bit of difficulty in Fallout 3 and New Vegas, as now the space between major towns wasn't just an abstraction, it was a real space you were travelling through, which thus had to be populated with stuff. This led to many small locations, camps, houses, abandoned farms, which the game flags to you and you can explore, but there's a risk that you can walk away from them empty-handed. And that's a bit of a disaster design-wise, as that teaches the player to not bother exploring in future. Exploration should always yield something. And thus we come to Fallout 4. The junk economy is a very elegant answer to this problem. How do you make every single building in the game worth exploring? by giving every single bit of set dressing potential value. If anything, the loot might have been a bit too compelling. Remember just after Fallout 4 launched, there was a whole bunch of webcomics that made the joke players were too busy crafting to bother finding Sean. That's a symptom of a core gameplay loop so strong that it's hard to break away from it to focus on the wider macro goal. Though, don't worry, we'll get back to the issues of your mission to find Sean later. This, by the way, was one of Fallout 76's critical mistakes. By reintroducing weapon and armor condition into the game and making junk the currency used to maintain them, in 76 it's entirely feasible, you can go looting, but if the haul is a bit low, you can end up weaker than when you began in junk terms. In Fallout 4, as condition isn't an issue, that can't happen. Every single item you pick up brings you closer to improving your arsenal, and every improvement you make will be with you forever. But again, all of this is meaningless if the final state of the loop, crafting, doesn't hold up. And I'd argue that the modular weapon crafting system of Fallout 4 is a huge step forward for the franchise, building on some of the best ideas in New Vegas. You see, for a long time Fallout had a problem with linear weapon progression. Basically this means that certain weapons are simply objectively superior to others, meaning you have no reason not to trade up from one to the next as they become available. The problem this creates is it makes playthroughs very similar. You know that certain weaker guns will be traded out as early as possible. And at the other extreme, you know that the moment you get your hands on certain weapons, there will never be any reason to stop using them. From the turbo plasma rifle in Fallout 1, to the pulse rifle in Fallout 2, or Vengeance and Lincoln's Repeater in Fallout 3, these are objectively superior weapons to anything else you're going to find. It was New Vegas that started the process of fixing this problem, through adding a limited array of mods that could be fixed to particular weapons. While this didn't stop weapons 
weapons eventually falling out of use, it did mean that you could choose to invest in a particular weapon and give it a powerful edge that would extend its lifetime and let you keep using a weapon of your choice. A common example of this is the plasma pistol, which you can buy in good springs together with its high energy ionizer mod. It's expensive, but if that's where you want to dedicate your cash, it'll be a powerful friend into the mid game. In a way, Fallout 4's modular weapon crafting system is just a logical, if very significant, extension of this. Now, every gun can be modded extensively. Your 10mm pistol isn't doomed to redundancy within the first 10 minutes of the game. Instead, if you want, rush to gun nut 1, slap a powerful receiver on it, you've got yourself a good early to mid game weapon. The bigger deal, however, is that now you can make weapons work how you want them to work, not just to improve them, but to customise them. Make your pistols automatic, focus on getting the weight down to make them more effective in bats. Specialise in critical hits or maximise range and put a scope on it. And once you get into energy weapons, you can pretty much do anything. Turn a pistol into a shotgun, add fire damage, the world is your oyster. Assuming, of course, you can find enough advanced components to make the changes you want. It was a really fun way to imagine energy weapons, though. Rather than just being superior in power, as in Fallout 1 and 2, their strength now is in flexibility, allowing them to be introduced into the game much earlier. And you know what? I'm just going to mention this here. I love what Fallout 4 did with the energy weapons. Rather than being a distinct class, as in every previous Fallout game, leading to that slightly awkward mid-game moment, when you realise all the best weapons from now on are going to be energy weapons, which you haven't been investing in, because you haven't really seen any energy weapons so far, so now you have to spend a few boring levels just piling points into energy weapons to make them usable. Not anymore. In Fallout 4, rifles and energy rifles are deemed to be the same class in terms of perk investment, so you can transition whenever you want, with the limiting factor often being that energy weapons need a lot of rare materials to modify. But that's brilliant, because now the choice is in the hands of the player. In Fallout 1 and 2, the game just refuses to let you have an energy weapon until the mid-game, so screw you if you tag that skill, I suppose. Fallout 4 takes a much more nuanced position. You're welcome to use energy weapons straight away, but it will take careful scavenging to find the high-tech components you need, especially as, at the same time, conventional firearms are much cheaper and easier to mod with common resources. And this is a good time to mention something I'd like you to try and keep in mind. That way of dealing with energy weapons, where the game gives you a lot of freedom to do things your own way if you choose to, Fallout 4 does this a lot, and more than many people seem to give it credit for. So, as I say, just bear that in mind going forward, we'll be revisiting that idea. Now, let's get back to weapons in general, because there's a key point here I need to stress about why this system works. There is no best mod ever. Every weapon you build, you're choosing a specialisation. You never just make your weapon better, you make it better in one way and thereby turn down something else. If it's as powerful as it can be, for example, it might be heavier or fire slower. We often talk about building characters in Fallout. In Fallout 4, you're also building your gun. And I do believe that some people in Bethesda were thinking about guns almost as if they were part of your own character build, given they added the ability for you to name your arsenal, suggesting they knew you might spend more time with each gun and get a bit attached. And I can say, in my first survival mode run, I absolutely did. But of course, there's another side to the discussion about weapons too, and... Uh, Prepare yourselves, because I'm about to say a controversial thing. I love the legendary system. I think it adds so much to the game in so many ways. Firstly, it gets rid of the old problem that once you've got a strong enough gun, you 
know you'll never find anything better because any time you can come across an instigating variant of your favourite weapon or an explosive shotgun or an automatic that applies extra flat damage per bullet, once I found a plasma-infused minigun, that was a good day. You can do as much crafting as you want, but you'll never be absolutely certain this is now the only gun you'll ever need. A better weapon or piece of armour might be waiting just around the corner. Even better, the possibility of legendaries appearing anywhere further reinforces an incentive to search every building, as even a low-level critter can spawn a game-changing bit of gear, and that adds a huge amount of replayability. If anything, my only complaint with the system is that Bethesda were a bit too generous with the guaranteed reward and shop spawn, as you can get some really good weapons that way, though there is definitely still room for finding and crafting some better stuff. Now, I can hear the angry hordes approaching already, and I know what they're about to say just before the pitchforking begins. John, they'll cry as they light the bonfire. Regardless of how well the system you're describing may or may not work, that doesn't change the fact that these mechanics are fundamentally those of a looter shooter, and not an RPG. Checkmate Burn the Witch. Seriously, I've seen this one being thrown around a lot, so apparently we need to discuss a bit of gaming history here, because I think the term looter shooter gets some folks a bit upset, possibly because it has shooter in it, so that means it's further down the RPG to FPS spectrum, and thus represents dumbing down a fallout, but this just doesn't really stand up to any level of scrutiny. First, like, just a reminder, looter shooters as an entire, admittedly slightly wibbly defined subgenre, were a variant on loot-heavy RPGs. Diablo is often mentioned as one of the important inspirations, with Diablo 2 lead David Brevik running an early online test with Hellgate London, though the first big success was most likely Borderlands, coming out in October 2009, which very conveniently started selling very well indeed at just the same time as development was starting and big decisions were being made on Fallout 4. The looter shooter has always been an offshoot of RPGs, and often features plenty of character build and upgrade options to build your character in the direction you want, which is a pretty core part of, you know, an RPG. And even by the standards of looter shooters, Fallout 4 really skews back towards RPGs and away from the direction plenty of other looter shooters developed. Fallout 4 doesn't put Twitch shooter gameplay at the centre of the action. There are no classes, instead sticking with a complex character build and upgrade system. There's no online focus, and your effectiveness with a weapon and how you utilise it is much more a function of your character build and crafting choices than the inherent numbers of the gun itself. But here's the crucial bit, and the point that hopefully will stop the pitchforking. I don't actually think Fallout 4 is a looter shooter at all. You absolutely, 100%, don't have to engage with any looting. You can have a perfectly good time playing this game without ever touching a piece of junk. The reason for that is, to compare Fallout 4 with its distant uncle Borderlands, the rate of weapon obsolescence is miles apart. In Borderlands, you need to be constantly changing out your weapons. Every time you level up, new stuff becomes available. You're going to be routinely throwing out your arsenal to pick up new stuff instead. In Fallout 4, let's say you've done the early game Brotherhood quest for dancing arc jet. You now have a legendary lucky laser rifle righteous authority and uh, if you want to you can keep using that to the end of the game every 10 to 15 levels you'll unlock a new rank of science then you can improve it a bit further if you need materials buy them junk traders are literally all over the shop if you'd rather not spend your time looting i just don't think it's right to call fallout for a loot shooter if all aspects of looting are optional any more than you can call it a building game given it also contains an entirely optional building mode in fact it almost sounds like, and stop me if I'm being crazy here, that these are all things you can 
or set of caravan points so that traders will come to you, allowing you to trade the excess food and water that your settlement produces for whatever materials you need. This is something I never really see anybody talking about, by the way. Settlements have real gameplay utility for those who wish to play as a builder and trader. And that's pretty much a first for Fallout. You can actually run your own town that attracts merchants. You can trade for what it needs or invest in your own stores so your own townsfolk can bring in passive income for you and you don't need the shops in established towns anymore. You can simply handle all of your buying and selling inside your own towns. It's almost like, I don't know, the game gives you that freedom I mentioned before, where you can take the role of a town mayor, or a prospector, or a mercenary, where the gameplay facilitates you being able to take on any of these multiple roles. I don't know, there must be a name for this sort of thing. Yeah, it's time to address the LERPG in the room. Let's discuss character building. Yeah, on Brainwash Radio, we better get groovy and groovy. Let's do it. Oh, snap. I think I missed it. Yeah, on the brain, let's listen.
except this bond was clean. If you cannot find the way, just listen for my song. I'll love you all your life, although that may not be too long. Crawl out through the fall of baby to my loving arms while those ICPMs keep us free. song by Warren Smith because I can't take it back. And now uh, a word or several from our sponsors. Commonwealth Weaponry. It's a dangerous world out there. Protect yourself. Protect your family. 
is Ray Smith with right behind you, baby. Something really sounds different when you hear it at two in the morning.
choice chops. Wants you to know we have meat. Just meat. Stop asking if we have anything else. Why is the Galleria closed? I'm sorry, but due to pending litigation, I am unable to comment. Please direct your inquiries to the General Atomics Legal Affairs Division. What is this place? The General Atomics Galleria is the shopping center of tomorrow today. Our wide array of stores are staffed entirely by the General Atomics line of robots, showcasing the reliability and versatility of a robotic workforce. Come in and experience the General Atomics difference. Who's the director? General Atomics patented director management system, DMS, is responsible coordinating the actions of the robots here at the Galleria. The director allows the Galleria to operate autonomously without the need for human intervention. That's all. Very well. Enjoy your visit. Be on the lookout for the General Atomics. Top quality. 
As ordered. Reporting in. Wait, the grand reopening? Are you grand reopening Supervisor 18 Alpha? You're late. Yes, yes, that's right. Manual authorization of the grand reopening requires authentication. So I'm going to need to see your ID, <coughs> sir. Wait, <coughs> manual activation? Is there any other kind? Automatic activation was scheduled for January 1st, 2078. Wait. Analyzing. Corrupt task detected. Task scheduler repaired. Now executing previously scheduled task. Accessing protocols. All units. Stand by for the crime reopening. I guess, um, from a sponsor here in Diamond City. Commonwealth weaponry. It's a dangerous world out there. Protect yourself. Protect your hands. Then maybe this will make you laugh. The General Atomic Galleria is now open for business.